0: Thanks for listening to A Little More Conversation. I'm Ben O'Hara Byrne. On this Friday night, from adulting to zonky, we look at the 500 new words added to the Scrabble Dictionary, the 7th edition, and find out what it takes to make the grade and how much social media is speeding up the adoption and spread of new words. As the Canadian men's soccer team gets set to play in its first World Cup in 36 years, we catch up with a member of that 1986 team, to find out what it's like to wear the maple leaf on the biggest stage in sports. Speaking of big stages, Ticketmaster is under fire for ticketing chaos for the upcoming and much-anticipated Taylor Swift Eras Tour. you look into why the sale of concert tickets is still plagued with problems. But first, we find out why there may be fewer private contractors out there clearing snow in Canada this year, especially in Ontario, and what impact that could have. Thunder snow—that's what was happening in Buffalo today. Did you see the images of the snow uh, in Buffalo? It was just unbelievable. It's only November the 18th. They've gotten like a meter of snow in Buffalo today. Lake effect—you know, I worked in Toronto. You learn all the terms when you're the weather terms that are specific to the area that that you're in. Lake effect snow is a big one in that part of the world, and I mean, it has just shut down parts of western and northern New York State today. Um, 60 centimeters of snow was earlier. It is far more than that by now. Uh, here's Buffalo's mayor.
1: We have been incredibly hard hit in South Buffalo, where snow continues to come down. That required us to reimpose a driving ban uh, in South Buffalo, the southern part portion of the city.
0: Plows were getting stuck. That's how much. Now, on the Canadian side of the border, not that far away, things really haven't been that bad. But parts of Niagara Region are bracing for what could be historic snowfall coming. Now, this happens. You know, we've already seen winter everywhere. We've seen snow everywhere, pretty much. We know what's happening in the, prairie, on the Prairies, in Alberta specifically. Um, but we've had snow out here in Victoria. We've had snow in Vancouver. Uh, there's been snow in in Ontario, in Toronto, Ottawa, elsewhere, Montreal, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So we wanted to find out a bit more about snow clearing. You know, that's something that comes up all the time. How much do we spend on snow clearing across the country? How is it done? How does it differ? You know what? No one can answer those questions because we don't have a central repository about snow clearing in this country. So one of the things we did find out looking around doing all this research about snow clearing was that there are fewer private contractors these days out there clearing snow. And that's a bit of a change. There's a reason for it. Uh, it's an issue that's crept up over recent years, and it's about liability, and it means there'll be fewer contractors clearing snow this year, and that has a cascading effect, an avalanche, if you would like, right across the system. And joining me now with more on that is Joe Salemi. He's executive director of Landscape Ontario, and he speaks to us tonight from Hamilton. Thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Ben. Really appreciate the opportunity here. So I guess looking over the bo- <laughs> looking just across the border in uh, Upper New York State, it's. Uh, Wow, that's a lot of snow. It must be. It must be a
2: reminder. Yeah, the, uh, the snowmageddon or the snowpocalypse is coming. The first one of the season, um, and we've got snow contractors all around here, so the Hamilton area and GTA that are connecting with uh, contractors in Buffalo and the Niagara region to say if you need help, we're here.
0: Oh, good, good. Because this is really, I mean, I guess this is when um, this is sort of the beginning of this. This is the beginning of the season for for snow contractors everywhere, right? This is the the warning shot, so to speak.
2: You got it. Yeah, the uh, the contracts kick in November 15th. So we're, we're here.
0: We're there. We're there. Yeah. Tell me a bit about what's been going on, because I was reading that there have been there are at least fewer contractors out there these days for a number of reasons. But I imagine it's also with inflation and so on. It's expensive nowadays to run a contracting business.
2: Yeah, uh, you know, I've been uh, connected with snow contractors for some time and uh, our snow contractors group at Landscape Ontario is probably one of our most active groups at the moment because there's a lot of challenges. And uh, so if we were to look five years ago um, for a contractor, the uh, liability insurance might have been $7,000 and they're generating, let's for round numbers, say $100,000 in revenue. Today, the insurance premium is about $47,000 Wow! and for the same amount of revenue. And overhead expenses plus materials and equipment has all gone up because of inflation and availability.
0: So $47,000 is the liability insurance that they're paying. Why
2: is yeah. that? What's happened? The snow insurance market has hardened. This is cyclical. It happens every 10 to 15 years. It's hardened in such a way that many of the underwriters that cover snow liability insurance have actually got out of covering snow liability. And so we just have a lot less insurers and the cost of insurance has just gone skyrocket. We've had some contractors let us know that their rates have gone up in some cases between 100% and 400% from one year to the next. And it has nothing to do with claims history or anything. It's just the the, the way that the market is. Um, is
0: this a problem we're seeing? I mean, is this an issue we're seeing for snow removal right across the country?
2: The underwriters across the country have done this. So this is something that goes from East Coast to the West Coast and everywhere in between. What kind of impact
0: is it having? I mean, if you're if you're not in the business, but simply someone who either has a driveway that needs plowing or lives in a community where there's a
2: lot of snow, what kind of impact might it have, um, you know, directly? Yeah, what we're seeing now is... Our members uh, that do snow management are saying that their phones are ringing off the hook because people just can't find a snow removal company that can service them. And so what we're going to see this winter is a shortage of snow contractors to do that snow management.
0: Is that um, the same? I was reading, obviously, in some areas that people can, can shift. I mean, it's more expensive in cities, for instance. Is that going to be felt the same way everywhere?
2: Uh, it, it's going to be felt everywhere. I mean, the uh, between the cost and the rise and increase of snow insurance premiums, plus uh, just the, the uh, inflationary increase on the cost of equipment, the cost of salt, uh, the cost of all the things that go into running a snow business, everything's just gone way up. So it's making it difficult to operate.
0: Yeah, and I guess we're going to see that impact right away. You have fewer, you're going to have just as much demand, presumably. I mean, we don't know how much it'll snow, but we'll have just as much demand, assuming it's a normal winter and a whole lot less supply. So that, that means I imagine prices will be going up too for, for people who want snow removal.
2: There, there's talk about that. In some cases, you know, there's uh, multi-year contracts. And so an insurance uh, increase from one year to the next when you're already in a multi-year contract. It means you have to absorb it as a as a business owner. It right. uh, it, be, it it makes it very difficult.
0: Is there any recourse here for you? I know you've been trying to uh, trying to rectify this, or at least trying to blunt the impact of this on your membership.
2: Yeah. So we started um, with some ad- advocacy work. Um, we were able to uh, work with MPP Norm Miller on a private members' bill. It was Bill One Eighteen where we were able to reduce the statute of slip and fall claims from two years to 60 days. That has helped. It hasn't directly impacted a reduction in uh, snow insurance premiums, but there's other things like education, development of standard and curriculum across the snow industry in Canada. That's something that's in development now.
0: Yeah, because it's it's not as simple as it looks, right? I mean, it's it's harder. We we take it for granted in this country that snow gets cleared. We do, whether it be by the municipality or or the province or by private contractors. But it is a multi layered process and probably a lot more difficult than we uh, than we imagine.
2: You know, there's just so many things that go into the running of a snow business and actually doing the work. A good part of it is environmental. Right. You know, we we put down a lot of salt and. um uh, we work with an organization called Smart About Salt, and its sole purpose is to uh, educate snow contractors in how to apply the right amount of salt. And uh, you know because of the lit- litigious nature of some of our society, we're forced in some cases to put down so much salt that there's no opportunity for ice buildup. but you know that doesn't do any good for our environment, and so we need to be able to reduce the use of salt.
0: So what it really boils down to is there is uh is the is the threat of litigation, right? If someone slips and falls and you're held responsible, that's where the insurance premiums are going up.
2: That that's a, a significant part of uh insurance claims is um and in large part fraudulent slip and fall claims. Um, right. or um slip and fall claims where uh someone might have been wearing high-heeled shoes in you know, inclement weather and happened to slip and injure themselves. So the injury is is legitimate, but, um, you know, maybe the attire was not,
0: um, Joe, Joe, the impact of this, because clearly this is kind of a organ. Snow clearing is kind of an organism, right? Private contractors do a lot of the driveway clearing and and sort of those areas. And then the, you know, the municipalities and so on, take away the rest of it. If one of those parts of the system starts to, we see less of it, it must have an impact throughout the whole system.
2: It's uh, impacted throughout the entire system, Ben, um, because a lot of municipalities uh, will subcontract private contractors uh, to do road clearing and parking lot clearing in in some of the the municipal uh, facilities. And so um, there's just going to be a lot less of those contractors available because of the insurance issue.
0: Why is it that, I mean, you study, you look into this a lot. I've been looking for, for days now trying to find some sort of central body that could tell us what's going on with snow clearing right across this country like how much do we spend who's doing it right who's doing it wrong who can do better but it doesn't seem like we have that uh for best practices which i find incredible considering just how much snow clearing goes on in this country
2: yeah you think of uh some stereotypes of canadians and it uh at top at the top of the list is snow yeah there isn't one central body that kind of organizes snow contractors It's been left to the uh, Landscape Trades Associations across the country and uh, all connected through the Canadian Nursery Landscape Association. So altogether, um, all of those provincial associations through CNLA are trying to develop a standard for snow operations and snow management across the country.
0: Has it come a long way? I mean, it looks so similar to what it was. I mean, snow clearing doesn't seem to have changed much since I was a kid growing up in Montreal, where there, an awful lot of it goes on. Uh, but I'm sure there have been advances. We just don't notice them, perhaps.
2: The, uh, I mean, the fundamentals are still there. You know, snow falls and precipitation <laughs> falls and freezes. And, and, you know, you have to uh, be able to remove that. Um, what has changed and what has increased is um, the level of litigation. And uh, risk mitigation. So it it comes down to just how much we want to mitigate that risk and all the training that we can do for our contractors to help with that, but also uh, as much as uh, we can inform uh, the public and how to handle themselves in inclement weather.
0: Joe, but it would seem like more of a risk to not clear it, right? (laughs) Wouldn't it? I mean, it's more of a safety risk if you don't clear it than if uh, if it's cleared in a way that, you know, I, I guess what it boils down to is why are snow clearers, uh, the snow clearance industry held responsible for ice and snow, right? I mean, that's, that's what it boils down to. And if you don't clear it, the risk is even greater, isn't it?
2: Yeah, Ben, you're, uh, you're hitting on a great point because uh, it comes down to the contracts that are presented to snow contractors from property owners quite often in the contracts there's hold harmless clauses but specific to the property owner not to the contractor and it's where the contractor will hold all of the liability right so in other
0: words it's just the passing of the liability to the contractor which which in this country seems um you know we know the risks of ice and snow in this country very well and why to, how to be why to be careful and so on it seems um it seems a bit unfortunate that contractors are held responsible for something as uh, let's call it uh, something as as um, you know irrational, <laughs> or something as that could change so quickly as the way ice you know thaws and freezes.
2: Yeah, you know it. It, it uh, reminds me of a, a story I heard with a um, a big box store that was holding the contractor that was doing their property liable for slip and falls that happened inside the store when there was snow. <laughs> <laughs> and i mean the contractor agreed to the uh, to the uh, contract but uh, landscape ontario has developed a contract that has mutual hold harmless so yeah. that, you know, it it should be placed on both. There needs to be the due diligence of both the property owner and the contractor together. Yeah, I can
0: imagine the contractor wants that contract, right? It's a great contract to get and we'll accept terms that might be a bit tough. Uh, any hope for, for this improving in the future? I mean, in the time for the time being, it looks like we're going to see fewer contractors out there clearing snow. Uh, but any hope that this may solve, at least to rectify itself anytime
2: soon? We're hopeful through Landscape Ontario. We've been uh, hard at work uh, over the uh, warm months on developing curriculum and standards uh, and operational guidelines for snow contractors in Ontario. And we hope that that will then filter out across the country so that um, snow contractors can be better at what they do and be able to mitigate that risk as much as they can possibly.
0: I guess for the time being, we're going to have to hope for uh, not too much precipitation this winter. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Let's hope. (laughs) Joe, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, Ben. Thank you.
0: (laughs) Thank you. This is another, this is going to be another really good one. I've been excited about this one all day. I love words, obviously, you know, you have to write a lot and so on. I also love, you know, new words and words that become popular, words that disappear and so on. You know, you watch old movies and you see people using words. You think, wow, I remember when people used to use those words and they don't anymore. Um, I've been asking you, but m- misheard lyrics today because one of the words in the new Scrabble dictionary is something called egg corn, like E-G-G-C-O-R-N. It's essentially mishearing acorn, A-C-O-R-N. And what it represents, what it means is words that we hear wrong or words that we think are something else, and they're not. Um, And song lyrics are the most obvious place that we all do that. Um, In the 70s, my girlfriend went downtown to get a record for you. They couldn't find it. I told her it was Black Penny by Jamrag, and it was Black Penny by Ram Jam. That's a great song. That's a great track. I had that 45 when I was a kid donuts make you feel like dancing donuts make you feel all right the head pins trucker day pass that on i guess it, it's donut don't it make you feel like dancing don't it make you feel all right but donuts is a good one donuts is actually an even more canadian lyric if you think about it so of course these days because of social media what's really interesting is it used to be sort of new terms and slang were things that were spoken but rarely written it was really rare to see things written down these days, because of social media, so much of, of the new words that come in to our lexicon are actually written. We see them before we hear them. I'd heard I obviously saw don't at me long before I heard anyone say it. Um, so things are evolving really quickly these days. Globalization too, you know, there's lots of different food out there. We use those words a lot more. It just feels like language evolves really quickly these days. So it's no surprise that a word game such as Scrabble that has a dictionary that guides it has to evolve pretty quickly too. And you know that there's a handy guide when people try to invent words in Scrabble because it happens. Nothing, of course, this is the perfect example, an old Seinfeld episode. Quone? 30,
3: 31, 31. Quone? Mm-hmm. Now, I'm afraid I'm going to have to challenge no, that. No, you don't have to challenge that. That's uh, a word. That's uh, a definite word. I am challenging. Quone. To clone something. Uh, <laughs> hmm?
2: I'm not playing with you anymore.
1: Quone's not a word. No good. Sorry. There it is. Get it off.
3: Why did you make me put that down? No, th- we need a medical dictionary. If <laughs> patient gets difficult, you quon them.
0: <laughs> right, Kramer. To quon. Q-U-O-N-E. It still isn't there, by the way. But Convo, zidonk, Dox, Fauxhawk, not to mention Welp, Thingy, Roid, Skeezy, Slushy, they're all in there now. 500 new words. We don't want to give them all away since... Figuring them out for yourself is probably more fun, but we did think we would go right right to the source, right to the master himself to find out what's in there, how do they get there, what words he likes the most, um, and how did they come up with 500 new ones. Peter Sokolowski is a lexiographer and Miriam Webster's editor at large, and he joins us now. Thank you so much for your time on this Friday.
3: It's great to be with you.
0: So this is a big process, right? It only it doesn't happen every year. This is something that you take some time to update. Uh, just how much work goes into choosing new words?
3: Uh, it is a process. That's exactly right. Like dictionary writing uh, <laughs> generally, it's a methodical and kind of dispassionate. What I mean by that is it, it's, it's a process that involves research uh, rather than passion, you know, rather than opinion. Uh, And so when we add new words to the online dictionary at merriamwebster.com, there are criteria for for those additions that a word has to be in widespread use. It it has to be used by many people in many publications to mean the same thing. It has to be in long-term use. It has to be a a term that seems to be here to stay, uh, that will be here for a long time and worth putting into the dictionary. And then uh, that process is continuous for our regular dictionary. And then every, I don't know, four or five years, Um, we take those words from that dictionary that are playable in Scrabble and make a new edition of the Scrabble Dictionary. This is now the seventh edition of the official Scrabble Player's Dictionary.
0: Yeah, 500 new words in the Scrabble Dictionary, at least, which is interesting. Mm -hmm. It strikes me that with social media, um, language evolves so quickly these days, far more quickly than it did when I was younger. And it must be a challenge to try to keep up with so many different You know, even the criteria widely used, I mean, our our common use of language has improved or changed dramatically in the last while, so it must be hard to keep up.
3: Yes, indeed. I mean, the speed, obviously, is much faster than it used to be, and uh, there are other sort of artifacts of online life. For example, uh, slang or informal language used to be spoken much more than it was written down, and now, because of texting and, and social media like Facebook and Twitter, many times we find that the informal language is, is written down before we ever even hear it pronounced out loud. So uh, in fact, the speed of language has has made it, the process sort of turn on itself, that the written form is often more informal, paradoxically, than than the spoken form.
0: Which is remarkable, isn't it? Especially when it comes to both a dictionary and a scrap. like don't at me, is something obviously don't we saw me. online long before I ever heard anyone say it.
3: That's a fantastic example. I mean, that could have Never happened before <laughs> um, no. and uh it is and in terms of you know a thousand years of the history of english it 's a remarkable shift that only in the last you know ten or maybe 15 years, uh, have we found that informal language has kind of this privileged status as a written form. And we, we see that with abbreviations like LOL, for example, um, right. which is clearly something that people um, key with their thumbs very frequently. Um, and now we speak it out loud. Now, uh, just to make it clear, that is not playable in Scrabble. Is it because, not?
0: It's an no, abbreviation. Because right? That
3: is um, in the dictionary, but it's an abbreviation, right? right so right. Um, uh, things like that, like but that includes things like FBI or NATO as well. Um, right. Abbreviation that are not um spoken words abbreviations that are shortening uh shortened f- forms of, of longer words are playable like adorbs for adorable <laughs> right uh, is, is a new playable word right
0: adorbs really i mean it's it's remarkable because these are terms of course they are but they make their way into the language so fast these days that's something that would have seemed um you know just like online language, maybe uh 10 years ago, is all of a sudden you know you're, you're playing it on a scrabble board, which is again, I, yeah. I go, it's it is remarkable. A lot of verb variations this year, which speaking of don't at me, <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. but you know, uh, that's that's an interesting one too. Because h- how do you come up with, I, I imagine some of them, as you were mentioning, adulting for instance, is a bit of a controversial one. So, h- how, why is that?
3: Well, uh, in that case, it's is what we call a function shift, the shift of a grammatical function of a word. So adult was already playable, of course, on a on a Scrabble board as a noun. So you could play adult or adults. But when adult becomes a verb, now you can play adulted and adulting. Yeah, so right. it, it adds these new um, and interesting kind of playable patterns. Uh, and there are a few other uh, nouns that have been verbed, if you will, including yes. including spitball uh, and retweet, which had been only a noun, torrent, torrent sure. right. uh, is now torrented, torrenting. And, of course, the word verb itself is now verbed. So you can say verbing. Uh, and yes. That's kind of important. Yeah. It, it allows for flexibility.
0: It is. Uh, and and. Uh... I mean, it's it's interesting to see the language of all that. But these are words that are that are used. Right? I mean, these are common uh, but I would I suppose for a long time you would think that verbing is not a word you could lay down on a Scrabble board. <laughs>
3: Uh, Yeah, I mean, that's been around for a long time. Uh, And and in some ways, I think it was one of these terms that had both informal and academic use. I think linguists have been using verbing in their study of language for decades, but that was a closed kind of professional jargon for many years. And that happens too, that words that are, uh, for example, medical terms, COVID is new to this list, for example, medical terms that can pass from the um, language that's used really only between medical professionals to the language that's in the headlines like covid
0: yeah we used to I remember i had a boss that used to insult, not insult but pick on one of my colleagues for using the term efforting efforting he's like oh yeah you can't, here we go. <laughs> you can't effort you know it was but you know there are many language there are many self-professed language purists out there aren't there um right. one of the, compound words was interesting as well because there are quite a few of those fintech obviously being one of them uh yeah. but uh, yeah was, so tell me about those because those are those have there are many of them out there i'm sure they're not all in the dictionary but you've chosen a few
3: Right. And, and and this is an artifact of dictionary making also, because there used to be a kind of I'll call it a prejudice against uh compound terms in the dictionary if they were self-evident. Um, you know, so you you're not gonna see orange juice in in a print Merriam-Webster dictionary because it's the juice of an orange. You could look up the two words and derive the meaning. But in terms of closed compounds, because again in Scrabble, of course, we can't have open compound uh, or hyphenated or apostrophes. So uh, these are words that are closed together. And we do see some like fintech, that's obviously a tech term, but page view, page view is such an important term in the business of uh, the internet, Mm -hmm. Um, baby moon and subtweet and dead name and allyship. And that allows you also to kind of hook onto an existing word on the board. If someone plays ally and you have the word ship, now you have allyship, which is much more valuable for points.
0: Absolutely. Speaking of points, I see that fohawk And now, fohawk has been around for a really long time, I think. But it's now there. fohawk if you don't, if people don't know, is is sort of a uh, a, a, a stylish take on a mohawk haircut, like you know the, <laughs> the punks have. Uh, but the fohawk is a good one. There's a high-scoring word for you if you've ever, you ever managed to to play it down. That's probably a tough well, one. The-
3: yeah, the valuable X tile um, and, of course, words with a Z or a Z, like the word Zonky, which is a hybrid of a zebra and a donkey. And it's, it's a real animal, by the way. Right. Um, and it actually goes by a couple of different names. There's Zonky and there's Zedonk. It's a Um, donk. (laughs) It's a good one. And both are now playable terms. Uh, And the Z is very valuable in Scrabble, of course.
0: It is. Uh, I read somewhere that you pointed out that embiggen is a new one, sort of to enlarge. (laughs)
3: Yeah. And and that one, obviously, uh, a lot of people smile at that one. It's associated with The Simpsons on TV. Um, It's a useful term. I mean, English just has so many synonyms. It's unusual in that way, by the way. English is rich in synonyms, and especially for words... That mean big. <laughs> we have we have gigantic and we have enormous. We have ginormous. We have gigantic. You know we have a, a lot of words and now um, we have enlarge and we have. Uh, now embiggen. Um And I think I've I've heard it used in a slightly different way to in a context that involves, for example, expanding the size of something on your monitor or computer screen, right. as opposed to enlarging something or expanding something in kind of real or material terms. So in, in other words, we find kind of semantic slots to put these words that are otherwise close synonyms in uh, where they don't really fit for each other. And embiggen is a kind of a great w- example of that.
0: I was l- interested with all the food ones. In there yes, this year, because there's a lot of familiar ones, but it really does show how much how global our diet has become with all the different uh, words that are now uh, feasible, like horchata and and yu and queso and marg yeah. and so on. Yeah, it's interesting.
3: And carnitas is now playable. Um, if iftar that's spelled with an f as a fo- as in fox iftar, uh, which is a meal, um, eaten by Muslims at sundown during Ramadan. That's a new word that's added. Um, as well and uh, I, I mentioned that also because the, the 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 biggest source of foreign word borrowings into english for the last oh 20 or 30 years has been food terms because as the world gets smaller of course our our diet gets uh, more expansive right we we, we have a- access and um, exposure to other cuisines that maybe even when we were children we were not exposed to and there are different kinds of restaurants especially in big cities and so we get these new food terms which tend to be from these uh foreign languages
0: yeah and, and, and that strikes me too that that the scrabble dictionary dictionaries in general are always evolving right i mean uh terms that were once acceptable or that then get dropped i gather there's there is a certain selection process going on as well
3: well yeah in, in terms of scrabble of course playability is essential so um there are archaic terms in the scrabble dictionary. Um, That will always be playable that won't come out because, you know, uh, especially if you're an experienced player and you know that you've played the word in the past, we can't have that word removed. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, That that would be its own kind of scandal. Um, And for the most part, especially with an online dictionary as we have today. Um, because space restrictions are, are are less important, we are allowed to keep the older terms, the archaic terms, and even obsolete terms in the dictionary. But it's true in the past, for print editions, um, some archaic and obsolete terms would be dropped from the dictionary occasionally, just to make room for new words.
0: Yeah, you'd have to. And also, I, I mean, I gather there's always cultural sensitivities as well. Like our use of language evolves depending on the circumstances of of, of what society deems acceptable and inaccept- unacceptable. And I guess that you, you do have. Have to try to walk that line as well
3: absolutely and an important point um scrabble's a family game so a really offensive language is not part of the scrabble dictionary and that's been true for a long time and basically nobody wants to see those words sitting on the board uh yeah. you know wh- while you're playing um and so that is an important as you say cultural consideration
0: yeehaw made it in i was happy to see there's an old <laughs> term for you <laughs>
3: and i think that 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 again it's an artifact of dictionary making there's a term that was probably spoken or heard in for example films and television, uh, much more frequently than it was ever written down. And, um, and so they, you know, every word has its own pace. There are words like COVID, for example, or deep fake. There, are terms that, that come into the dictionary very, very quickly because the phenomenon that they label is, uh, a new phenomenon. Uh, think back to a word like blog, for example, that was right. a word that for which we had no other. And, and it was adapted, um, uh, very quickly in terms of yeehaw, it's just sort of it's just sort of um overdue maybe but finally playable that that's just uh, you know an artifact of dictionary making another is for example the categorization of words um the word dumpster was not playable until this week because really? Yeah, dumpster was a officially a trademark and it was labeled right. only as a trademark, which means it was capitalized and therefore not playable in Scrabble. Um, but we've altered that entry. The word was always there as a trademark. Now it's entered as a noun, which brings that D down to a lowercase d. And now it's a playable term.
0: Yeah, as in dumpster fire, right? That's exactly. the, uh, I, I read that you, one of your favorites is, is one that um, that is a great word uh, because it. it It is a word about words. The egg corn.
3: All right. (laughs) Egg egg corn, which is spelled E-G-G-C-O-R-N. And egg egg corn, um, it's a word that sounds like another word. And I love that we actually have that term entered in the dictionary. A lot of times, those are um, uh, lyrics of songs that we miss. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and over the years, you know, we sort of uh, misinterpret, and it's kind of a fun, you know, phenomenon of language. We all have these kinds of, you know, mis- mishearings.
0: Yeah, and and, and sort of. You know, uh, toe the line is is an obvious one. For all intensive instead of for all intents and for all intensive purposes is another one. Sure. Yeah. So, acorn sure. is literally the the misunderstanding acorn, right? Is that that's, that's where right. it
3: comes it's, from? It's a misunderstanding, or it's a, yeah, exactly, of the yeah. word acorn. And it's true that when you think about it, an acorn you could perceive as, of course, the the the, the sort of. Um, beginning or or the birth of a tree, right? And so egg, it, there's a little logic behind some of these. Um, you hear things like all intensive purposes, for example, rather than all intents and purposes. That's really what an egg corn is.
0: Well, Peter Sokolowski, it's been fascinating. Congratulations on the hard work. I guess you get right back to work, right? When it comes to these things,
3: Words <laughs> yeah, never it, words never sleep. Exactly, exactly. It's like painting the Golden Gate Bridge. Once, you, once you're once you finished with, with one end, you, you have to start over. <laughs> well, at least it's a labor of love, Peter. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: The World Cup. You're not going to mishear that. It starts on Sunday morning. Qatar plays Ecuador. Um, it kicks off the 2022 World Cup. It's happening in the winter, which of course is odd. It's usually a summer tournament, but it's too hot in the golf to play in the summer. So they moved it to December. Uh, the big story today was a sudden about face by tournament organizers. They're not going to sell beer in the stadiums. The sale
3: of alcohol is heavily restricted in the conservative Muslim country. The announcement comes just days before the World Cup starts. Federico Faraz is from Portugal. The culture is different, and of course we're going to respect the culture here, but they also have to respect that football fans are different. American soccer fan Adel Hanna is not as concerned. We're not here to drink beer. We're here to watch the soccer game. We're here to watch the world-class soccer. We can get it anywhere in the world. We can get it. Beer everywhere. Beer will be available in the evenings in what is known as the FIFA Fan Festival, a designated party area away from the stadiums. Beer sponsor Budweiser tweeted, "Well, this is awkward." The tweet was later deleted. I'm Ed Donahue.
0: The problem wasn't so much the right to drink beers that they changed their minds 72 hours before kickoff in the opening game and left one of the major sponsors of the tournament out, you know, out to dry. No pun intended. Uh, We'll see what happens with that. But all that aside, listen, what's really exciting if you're Canadian is that for the very first time since 1986, the Canadians are there. They're going to play in this World Cup. They've had an incredible qualifying run. They're in a pretty tough group with Belgium, Croatia, and Morocco. The opening match is against Belgium on Wednesday. They're ranked number two in the world. They've got a lot to prove, too. They have, they have had this great team for the last decade and have not done as well as perhaps they should have. FIFA expects 5 billion viewers. To tune in over the course of the next month. 3.5 billion watched in 2018 when it was in Russia. 5 billion viewers. This is the biggest sporting event in the world. Um, so what is it like to walk on to that incredible sporting stage? Something very, very few Canadians can say they've done. In fact, you have to go all the way back to Mexico in 1986 for the last time it happened. Here's a reminder of how we qualified. For that World Cup, it was a victory over Honduras on a soggy field in St. John's, Newfoundland, back in 1985, earning our men our first and only trip to the World Cup.
4: Checking his watch. And And there it goes. goes! The final
3: whistle, Canada has qualified for World Cup 86, defeating Honduras by a score of 2-1 here in St. John's, Newfoundland this afternoon. A great team effort by Canada and they didn't sneak in on the back door. They beat the defending champions of CONCACAF
1: 2-1 here in St. John's. A tremendous performance, and who can blame the crowd for pouring on the please field please to please congratulate please these players? Please a please magnificent please performance, please and please Canada please are now on the run to Mexico.
0: There you go, a long time ago. Yeah, cr- the crowd used to go onto the field. They don't let people do that much anymore. It's not as common anymore. But it is a remarkable, it was a remarkable achievement back then, and it is going to be very special, I think, on Wednesday to see Team Canada playing at this tournament of tournaments, Joining me now is George Pecos. He was a member of that last Canadian men's team to play at the World Cup. In fact, he scored the winning goal that day against Honduras. Um, And he joins us now from Victoria. George, thanks so much. Welcome back. Thanks for having me, Ben. Yeah, I mean, we talked about how exciting it was going to be when when it was about to happen. And here we are. The World Cup starts Sunday. Canada plays Wednesday. How are you feeling about it?
1: After watching them play uh, against Japan, or I'm feeling really really good and uh, and the world should be watching them because they're going to be uh uh they're going to be upsetting some teams here. I can I can see that.
0: Yeah, so what is it like? I mean, you played obviously the qualification rounds in 1986. You played against a lot of the, a lot of good teams, but what is it like to step out onto the field at the World Cup?
1: Well, For me personally, you know, um, being an amateur player and never, ever thinking of of ever doing that, being hitchhiking in Europe in 74 and and going to the, you know, the World Cup uh, 12 years later was like, you know, I would say a dream come true, but I I never, ever dreamt of it. And to to end up being there, was just a dream come true. I mean, the
0: atmosphere... Must be. I imagine even just the noise must be different. It must feel like you're playing almost not a different game, but it must be feel like you're in a different world.
1: You're right there. It uh, it seems like you're in a different world. Uh, You know, unfortunately, you know, in '86 in Mexico, the crowds were weren't very big. I I think France, we only had about fifteen thousand and. The other two games weren't I don't think we had that many but uh regardless of the you know the the fans and that you know to represent Canada the first time you know putting on that jersey it's it's uh it's a, it's fantastic. Yeah, what's it like to hear the anthem at a World Cup? It must
0: be and I'm looking forward to to that on Wednesday obviously.
1: Yeah, oh boy, I can't, I can't wait. You know, a, a month of watching soccer on TV. Oh, a man can <laughs> dream and dream better than that. <laughs> what was it like to hear the anthem back in
0: Mexico? That opening match, I guess it was June first, nineteen eighty-six, against uh, against a very good French team, and and to hear Canada's national anthem played. To stare across the pitch at a guy like Michel Platini, who was, you know, the the Ronaldo of his time, essentially.
1: Yeah. Um, Again, you know, you 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 look over there and you look at those players and you think about you know where we come from or where I come from, you know, a little place like like Victoria, you know, growing up in the gorge soccer and moving up and just playing local sports and then ended up you know uh, you know making a Olympic team, World Cup team, and then the World Cup. My God, it's like. Four years of uh you know traveling the world, uh, a footballer's dream. It must go by so fast. Yeah. Thirty thirty six years ago, um I that, I just had my seventieth yeah. birthday and uh you know, so there it goes. I'm uh, I'm exactly I'm in that in that other category now. So you know, when you say time goes by fast, you're you got that right. I'm I'm out watching my grandkids, my granddaughters all play soccer, and you know, moving on.
0: Yeah, it's. I mean, it it, it must be great for, to have both a women's team that's fantastic, a men's team that's really good. Now it must really feel like soccer's taken a different spot in the Canadian psyche from when you played
1: yes i've um, I've been watching the women's soccer it It's really not bad to watch now you know the last two games against brazil it was it was end to end action uh the women games really really improved uh not that it was that bad anyways but uh you know uh when you're gonna step on the pitch against canada in either the men's or the women's national team you know it's uh, it's gonna be a tough go now yeah, tell me a bit
0: about the the week being at the World Cup itself because I was looking at at when you played uh, or when Canada played it was June 1st, June 6th, June 9th. You know, we we didn't have a great World Cup. We didn't score, we lost all three games, but we were there and we held in against some good teams. How fast does the experience go by?
1: Well, I was just watching some of the some of the highlights from, you know, not VHS but TSN and and uh uh we did pretty good. You know, there's a lot of good chances. You know, uh, we had to score and Tino made a couple great, great saves and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, three, those three dates that you mentioned, they, you know, after each game, you know, you're, you're rewatching the game to see where you can improve and go on to the next game. And, bing bang boom before you know it like you say 10 days is you know over and and you know, i'm back at home working for the city yeah. of victoria <laughs>
0: that's right it's not like these days you weren't on you know four hundred euro a week or something
1: right it was a, a different like, era no these <laughs> thinking, uh, these, yeah. uh, these players are going to uh you know the team that john's picked or you know they're they're going to make a little bit extra money you know because they've made it uh made it to the world cup and uh, and they deserve it george i mean you spent your life
0: in, in soccer when you were growing up i, I guess you kind of had to look overseas for your heroes right i guess nowadays young kids like your grandkids can look in their own backyard for their soccer heroes which must be must be pretty amazing
1: yeah you're absolutely right right about that you know um the all the girls that are playing the game and women or whatever they can just look at you know see see uh, Christine Sinclair who's one of the older ones and the rest of the younger uh, girls for Canada and the same the same for the men you know I mean there's <laughs> there's nothing but uh, hope hope for these teams seriously they're um, they're both going to start dominating uh, soon in the in the world of soccer.
0: Yeah, and and to top it all off, we're hosting the World Cup in 2026. So this is like a preview of when. Uh, I mean, it must be must be something to look forward to. George, you're gonna we're gonna have the World Cup in 2026. It's gonna be pretty pretty remarkable.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna be over there, you know, in the on the mainland for for sure, uh, cheering on on Canada. And uh, you know, we'll be able to drink beer here for sure, and they'll be selling lots and lots of it. You know that oh, that's I'm for sure. sure. Huh?
0: I'm sure I've been to I've been to football matches in Britain and yeah, there's a lot of beer, beer sold. Needless to say, um, so what do you think a good result for Canada would be here? I mean, realistically, you know, some of the other teams have pretty Belgium's defense is a little old, Croatia's not young, Canada's fast. We could surprise a few people here.
1: Well, everyone's saying, oh, they're you know they're in a gr- they're in a tough group, but which group isn't isn't tough really? You know and um, I, I I was talking about it earlier. The way that they looked against Japan, there, you know, when that first goal went in, I'm sure everyone felt the same way as I did, disappointed, and and. Uh, and then all of a sudden they just kept it going and showed the hearts that the Canadian player has, and and ended up dominating that game and end up winning the game. It was it was so thrilling and exciting, and it it's only going to be more because Afonso wasn't even playing. Once he starts terrorizing those people down the wing and crossing the ball over for Laren and David and Buchanan, we're going to score lots of goals. Yeah, do you have any
0: advice for them? I guess you played in a World Cup. I I, I guess what I was trying to get to earlier, because I obviously I don't know, but it must go by that like if you just play the three and you go home, it must go by so fast
1: well these uh, nowadays these teams are fortunate they get to go to the country you know ten days ahead of time and and uh, and uh, you know relaxing like the life of life professionals do when we were there, you know we went there with a with a skeleton kind of kind of crew and and never got to visit much we just went there to kind of do the business and kind of get out and and uh, for these players nowadays it's 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 fantastic you know it's uh they're, they're stars, you know, so they're going to get the star treatment and they're going to just love it. Most of the players are, they're all professionals anyway. So they're, they're kind of used to the, to, to the treatment, but when you're wearing that uh, jersey and representing your country, it's uh, at the world cup, it's, it's even more special.
0: Any advice to them from someone who's who, who, who one of the very few Canadians who ever managed to do that?
1: Score a goal, for God's sakes. Anyways, and and they they know that that Canada's going to be cheering them on. You know, I don't know how many Canadians are going to be be over there. You know, cheering them on live, but but they're going to have you know millions of followers. And uh, regardless how they do, we're we're so proud of them. You know, to win CONCACAF and uh, and and to get in the World Cup, and we know that. You know, with the the style and the that John's got him playing, it's nobody wants to face him. And uh, you, uh, I know uh, they're yeah. going to do real good.
0: Last question for you, George. Has it been nice to be able to revisit 1986 again? Because I think for a long time we used to sort of say, oh, yeah, we played in a World Cup once back in 1986. And the conversation would kind of end there. But we've been talking a lot about the team that you played with back then. And I think people have kind of revisited just how groundbreaking it was that you made that world cup because we went through a lot of years of, of disappointment before and after.
1: Yeah. Yeah. In 82, I think all, all they needed was one goal to, you know, to qualify. And then in 86, we were fortunate to, you know, to qualify. And, and uh, now we're in there again, 36 years later, we've been, you know, we had the gold cup winner, win that time and stuff and there were uh,
0: a few, a few yeah. ups in there but not many it was pretty pretty dismal for a long time i just i guess what i meant is that is are is it does it feel good that people have been looking back at that 86 team now and sort of recognizing what an achievement it was to play in that world cup
1: i think so you know back back then they, you know they only had tw- uh, 24 countries so you know it was a little bit harder harder to qualify whereas now you know 32 countries so um uh, i I think everyone appreciates this. I know I still you know get a pat in the back when 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 I go watch uh, you know the kids play and stuff like that and and uh, everyone's excited for for Team Canada, especially with such a such a young team. And to see a couple older, you know, veterans like Hutchinson and and Bourgeon uh, end up finishing their career, you know, in the World Cup is just just fantastic. I'm I'm so happy for those guys.
0: Well, we'll be thinking of you, George, on one Wednesday when we hear Oh Canada at uh, the World Cup for the first time since you last heard it. Back in 1986. Thanks so much again for your time tonight. Thanks for having me, Ben. And go Canada, go! Any Swifties out there listening tonight, Taylor Swift fans? It is the hottest ticket around, the hottest ticket in a long time on both sides of the border. Taylor Swift is heading out on her Eras tour next year. No Canadian dates so far. Lots of American ones, lots of Canadians Looking to get tickets for those ones. Um, Pre sale tickets went up earlier this week and they led to quote, historically unprecedented demand. Two million tickets sold, the most ever sold for one artist in a single day. But the whole thing was chaos. So lots of angry fans, many of whom waited for hours on the ticketing site, many of whom never were even able to get that far. A lot of them left empty handed. Questions remained about who actually got tickets. Here's one disappointed Swifty.
5: I don't understand how Ticketmaster is still in business. I don't understand how this company runs at all. How are they, they, they're under investigation now, just now? Oh, I'm getting DMs all day long about how this happens all the time. Oh, welcome to your first rodeo with Ticketmaster, blah, blah, blah. I'm not a concert person normally. This is really my first rodeo. What are we doing? I'm losing my mind. It's just unfair. It's unfair for everybody that so many people are going to have to pay or are going to be tricked into paying 12 times the amount of money they would do it just to see a concert because they feel like they have to.
0: <laughs> yeah, people are upset. Um it was such a disaster that Ticketmaster halted Public ticket sales that were supposed to start today. There's just too much demand. The whole thing's been a nightmare. So it's resurrected all these questions about Ticketmaster holding too much power. Of course, they're merged with Live Nation. Um, today, Taylor Swift broke her silence to slam Ticketmaster for the chaos. She said, It's truly amazing that 2.4 million people got tickets, but it really uh, uh, pees me off that a lot of them feel like they went through several bear attacks to get them here's a report on that
3: we haven't heard from taylor swift since tuesday's chaotic pre-sales for her upcoming tour and the canceling of general ticket sales friday swift now out with a post on instagram making it clear she's not happy and saying she trusted ticketmaster to handle things and they failed her and let her fans down she says she asked multiple times if they could handle this kind of demand and they assured her that they could and she hates that fans felt like they had to go through several bear attacks to get tickets swift says she's trying to figure out how the situation can be improved going forward Jason Athens in ABC News, Hollywood.
0: Well, speaking of someone who survived the bear attacks, our own Talia Miller, technical producer, has her tickets to the show at Lumen Field in Seattle uh, coming up next uh, summer. I guess it is late spring. Yeah. Uh, how did you get? How did you get them?
5: A miracle. Clearly, um, we there's five of us in my group, and only one of us got a presale tick, uh, code, and that person was able to somehow get us tickets.
0: Did it take a long, once they got the pre Because I guess a lot of the complaints were people even, people who had pre-sale codes were having trouble getting tickets once they were in.
5: My knowledge is we had no issues. We all have a group chat, so there was constant updates of when we were in the queue, when we entered, and when tickets were secure. And I think it took a total of like 30 to 45 minutes for us to like go through that entire process.
0: That's not bad. How much are they? Because I know there was, there was different pricing there, right?
5: We paid 180 Canadian for our tickets. And wow. we're in the nosebleeds, but we're really close to the stage from the looks of it.
0: Still, you know, right now, if you go on to the resale mm-hmm. uh, market, those are those are selling for like for thousands. Oh, yeah. The ones on the floor are selling for a ton. Have you looked?
5: I have, but I'm also scared to like look at that because I'm k- k- kind of tempted, Ben. She's a wonderful performer. I've never seen her live. So for a one time, (laughs) I would never sell those tickets. But, you know, YOLO, you you only live once. So if it was 10000 to see her once and have the best performance ever, I might consider it.
0: Yeah, you could buy yourself a bottle of wine, put put on her CDs and (laughs) kick your feet up and sell those tickets. Talia, you're one of the lucky ones. Thank you. Thank you. Talia Miller, a technical producer, will be going to Lumen Field next next summer uh, to see Taylor Swift on one of the two nights she's in Seattle. Joining me now with more, this is David Soberman. He's a professor of marketing at the Rotman School of Management at the University of Toronto. Thanks so much for your time. No problem. Glad to be here. So this is what, I mean, Ticketmaster really are the punching bag. I guess that's what happens when you have a monopoly. Uh, Do you think this is fair criticism in this case or is there more than meets the eye here?
4: Well, I think anytime you have a problem like this, the organization's going to be criticized. but um, you know you have probably one of the most popular artists in the world who hasn't been on concert in concert for five years. You probably have a level of demand that's you know nine, ten, fifteen times the normal level of demand that ticketmaster would have to process in a day, and just like anything. Um, our sites, websites, our transportation links, trains, planes, automobiles, everything has capacity, and I think that's what we've run into here.
0: Yeah, I mean, what do you make of, you know, the, this idea that the monopoly is the problem? Because certainly, I mean, right across the, the political aisle this week in the States, at least, there seemed to be this, this idea that uh, the Ticketmaster somehow is a nefarious, <laughs> a nefarious organization.
4: Well, it's interesting. I mean, listen, I mean, I think anybody who is in business like me doesn't like monopolies because I think we always benefit from competition, if not um, from better service, at least from better prices, because companies want to compete with each other and that competition results in better prices. So I think there is a bit of an issue in this particular domain with too much power for Ticketmaster. But I think the real issue here, too, has been the level of service that's being provided. And we definitely have competitive industries where there are also service problems. And we had that this summer in our telecommunications sector where you've got three major companies and Rogers was down for a day and a half and created huge havoc for many Canadians. So I think sometimes these service outages happen independent of whether you're a monopoly or whether you're in a competitive industry. So I see these really as being two different issues, but I definitely would like to see more competition in online ticket distribution. I don't think we benefit from having so much power in the hands of one company.
0: Yeah, and I guess there's also a psychological aspect here. It used to be if you saw people camping out for tickets back in the old good old days, the bad old days, you knew what the lineup looked like right before you got there. And of course, the tickets would magically disappear pretty quickly anyway. But these days, I guess everyone's sitting there, and you can't really tell what exactly the queue looks like. So it leaves. I mean, clearly not everyone was going to get tickets to see Taylor Swift, right? That was, as you pointed out, massive demand, limited supply. Um, but it. It's a wonder, you know, I was thinking about this today. I was looking at images from the James Webb telescope and thinking, how can we not get ticketing right again still?
4: Yeah, you're right. I get that. I mean, I think on the one hand, you have experiences like your technical director's story, which, to be honest with you, sounds pretty good. 35 to 40 minutes, you got a code and you have your tickets like that's pretty good. In fact, most people say that would be a lot better than going and standing in line outside of a stadium for seven hours to get tickets. I I think the real issue here is that there's technical challenges that really need to be addressed in this domain. The first is, and I think you really made a very good point, which is if you actually have an idea of how long you're going to wait, how many people are in the queue ahead of you and how many tickets are available, people could plan their time better. I think this is one of the areas where this online ticketing could really technically provide a better service to customers by giving them more information when you know, and I mean, we have this, when you sort of call certain places, sometimes you're put on hold and you have no idea how long you're going to take. And some of the more advanced, um, uh, service lines that you call say, we believe that your call will be answered in about 54 minutes. And yeah. some of them even give you a chance to call you, they will call you back. So technology can definitely, you know, address many of the concerns that we have uh, with respect to um, this whole issue of, of waiting. And I think that that's sort of one of the things that people would would really like to see. So technical advances that help to make the actual process um, more customer-friendly.
0: Yeah. What about the notion of selling tickets, you know, a bit like airline tickets, that, you know, you could you could solve a lot of this by just having a lottery, letting everyone, whoever gets chosen, gets chosen, and you can't resell the tickets, they're yours. Uh, I, I suppose that probably violates a bunch of things, but it would solve some of the issues, especially for these, super, these real in-demand ones.
4: Yes, I think, so you, you raise another point. I think it's really hard um, in our economy, which is a free market economy, to tell somebody if they own something, they can't resell it. I mean, True enough. I think that we're going down a different path there. But I think one of the real problems that we have, and this gets back to this technical issue, and this is another dimension. So um, from my um, research of this topic, Ticketmaster does limit the amount that a single person can buy to six tickets. One of the main reasons you do that is because if you're a reseller, what you would go in, and instead of buying six tickets, you'd buy 60 tickets. And then by arbitrage, you can make a lot of money. So they try to limit this to six tickets, which sounds good, except for the technical problem is that these large resellers have developed bots. And what the bots do is they pretend like they're one person. And so you have like a thousand bots all buying six tickets. And sure enough, you've got 6,000 tickets. And I think one of the problems that these websites have is they haven't yet figured out how to distinguish a bot from a real person. So this to me, once again, is a technical issue. I think we're still in the early stages of this technology. And I think, you know, as we move, move on in time, you're going to see better, better service and better performance. And one of the main things will be bot identification and sites that basically don't let bots do buying of tickets.
0: Do you think this one may actually be the one that, that leads to some change in the business?
4: I guess what I would say is I think that changes like this tend to happen gradually as opposed to in one fell swoop, especially when it comes to dealing with technical challenges. So my feeling is that this probably gives some impetus to Ticketmaster to improve their service. I think you are going to see improvements, but I think as well, I don't think the press about them having excessive market power, they're going to be looking perhaps to put extra effort into fixing this because if something like this happened again, I think you may find regulators and politicians starting to get interested in doing something, and that's probably not what they want to have happen.
0: Is there much that that can be done?
4: Well, as I said before, I think there's a, you know, a number of aspects. One is the technical uh, capacity of the system. Another thing is how customer-friendly it is in terms of letting people know how long they have to wait, where they are in the queue, and how many tickets are left. A second thing might be um, how they manage bots. And on top of that, I think, I mean, there's a lot of people that have concern about dynamic pricing, but I don't think that's going to be going away. I think that's something that's going to be here to stay independent of whether you have Ticketmaster or even competitive companies that are offering tickets for sale.
0: Yeah, dynamic pricing is a bit like surge pricing for uh, for ride-sharing, right? Demand dictates Absolutely. how much you're going to pay. I met politicians, too. Like, I mean, is there is it conceivable that there would be a breakup of a monopoly, for instance?
4: Well, certainly we've seen that. We've seen that sort of um, not in the recent past, but certainly if you go back in history, we've seen breakup of um, oil monopolies and tobacco monopolies because they seemed to not be in the interest of the public. And also we've seen mergers that have been blocked. In fact, right now in Canada we're seeing some pretty heavy scrutiny being given to the Rogers-Shaw merger because people believe that that might create excessive market power. I mean, I think obviously Ticketmaster is more of an American institution, so Mm -hmm. this is perhaps more of an American than a Canadian issue, but I think that this is the sort of problem which gives one pause and makes the regulators think about whether or not the form of distribution that is actually being engaged in by most of the major entertainers that have concerts across the United States, The most of all of them are using Ticketmaster. And is this the best way of doing things? Or would we be better served by having at least two or even three companies that we could actually go to, to buy these tickets? I think it's a very interesting question and it'll be interesting to see um, where politicians and where the justice system end up on this after what's happened with the Taylor Swift uh, concert.
0: Yeah, there was a bit of uh, back and forth on that one today where Ticketmaster was saying that they were selected and uh, Taylor Swift people were saying, well, we really had no choice because any of the venues or most of the major venues, she'd be playing obviously major venues across the country, football stadiums and such, um, have exclusive contracts. I mean, they they have exclusive deals with Ticketmaster to sell tickets, so there was no choice there. So that might lead to something as well. It's hard to tell these days. There's been a lot of talk, especially with this one and the resale value of the tickets, about where scalping sits. You talked about the bots earlier earlier um do you get the sense that that is still a big problem here that the idea that we don't know who's getting these tickets and that the system is gamed against the average fan uh is still very much i mean this has been talked about again back to the days where people used to sleep outside for tickets right but um you know do you get the sense that with technology that is still happening
4: well it certainly seems like there's a significant number of tickets available on the secondary selling websites Uh, like StubHub, and that to me means that while there may be individuals, for example, like your technical director who's decided, hey, I can actually get a lot of money so they can go and sell their ticket on StubHub, the fact that there's a high availability of tickets on these secondary websites suggests that there was a lot of what you would call scalpers that were buying the tickets originally. And obviously, um, something that's something that Ticketmaster wants to try to prevent because it's very frustrating for the people that want to actually buy the tickets. Um, as I said before, I think it's the sort of thing that it's really hard in the middle of the problem to be able to reach a conclusion. But, you know, you're going to have an analysis of how many tickets were available on the secondary websites, how many tickets were actually sold, what percentage of them were resold, and that way you can actually quantify the degree to which it's a problem. And I haven't yet seen any analysis on that. But that's something for sure I'd want to look at if I was running Ticketmaster and trying to understand whether it really is a serious problem.
0: Yeah, because uh, there has been some, you know, some accusations, of course, that Ticketmaster actually makes, makes money off the resales, right? So it's making money twice. <laughs>
4: There's, uh,
0: I don't know that to be 100% true, by the way.
4: Yeah, I mean it's really hard to know what what's, what what exactly is going on, and that's one of the reasons that we probably want to sort of spend some time. And there's going to be people that are very interested in learning more about this. Um, I think from the perspective of Ticketmaster, obviously the more negative publicity they get, whether it's from them potentially earning tickets for ticket from tickets that are resold whether it's from people that waited for 12 hours, even though they, for example, had an advanced buying code and then didn't get tickets, or whether it's people that just simply were to, you know, had the idea that they'd be able to wait and buy tickets and never got tickets. These are things that doesn't help Ticketmaster. Ticketmaster needs to also worry about its own reputation.
0: David Soberman, we'll leave at that. Thank you so much for your time on this Friday night.
4: No problem. It was my pleasure.